This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Podcast, podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series and science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And we continue our coverage of the Adams Family television series from the 1960s. Mr. Seneca will have some information about the Adams Family ahead of time. Today's focus area is on 1970, My Crowd, Charles Adams' eighth anthology of cartoons. Published by Simon & Schulster, cover features a very late 1960s-1970s-dressed family, Morticia in thigh-high boots and a green mini-dress. Republished in 1990 for the first Adams Family movie release. In 1970, renewal of the Adams contract with Filmways was in discussions during the publishing of Microd. It ultimately fell through. Also, when the Adams Family hit the TV screens, the characters were forbidden to appear within the New Yorker magazine. Now, that wasn't in the filmway's contract, but the New Yorker magazine's William Sean said that, quote, I don't think we want to revive them, unquote. He thought now that the characters were on TV, that it was a vulgar representation of Hollywood, and he did not want it in the book. He even gave back the rights to the cartoons to Charles Adams. After 26 years of the family in the New Yorker, it was no more. Charles Adams was very bitter about that. He occasionally snuck in snarky tidbits into the cartoons that made it past the editors. So instead of the New Yorker magazine, the cartoons lived on in advertisements. His ex-wife Barbara Barb nosed herself into the situation again by convincing him to sign away the cartoon rights to her. So when the talk of the Hanna-Barbera cartoon came up, she was there. So by 1972, the deal closed to make a cartoon show based on the characters. Which was good, because in all of 1972, he only sold one cartoon to the New Yorker for $336. So the Hanna-Barbera contract payment of $1,500 was welcomed. I'll get into a more in-depth discussion on the Hanna-Barbera cartoon on another podcast. Also at this time of his life, he found himself living with the person who was going to become his third and final wife, Marilyn T. Matthews Davy Miller. Funny enough, her old friend Odette Benjamin was his girlfriend, before and during the start of their relationship, and it seemed T was okay with their lighthearted side relationship. 
Odette had children that considered Charles Adams to be a dial-a-dad, a fun type of guy. Odette couldn't really marry him because she would have to lose the alimony that she and her children depended on. As Odette said, quote, if I couldn't have him, I wanted T to have him, unquote. In 1974, Adams made a new will, leaving half of his estate to T and all of his property to the abusive ex-wife Barbara Barr. Unbeknownst to Charles Adams at that time, Bad Barbara had already put the pieces in place to swipe his properties from him well before his death. Through an entanglement of contracts and signatures, she had managed to have a legal right to walk into his home whenever she wanted and treated Charles like a caretaker. T was not happy with the situation, and although she didn't live with him at his place in New York, she saw how it affected him. That's it for tonight. And then moving on from her historical information about the Adams family, we move right into Morticia the Sculptress. Originally aired November 12, 1965, Gomez brings in a seedy art dealer, Sam Picasso, to purchase one of Morticia's statues after an art critic, Bosley Swain, shuns Morticia's work. Bosley um, hasn't appeared before, but we've had uh, we've had uh, Picasso on the uh, show one other time, and a bit of a continuity error that comes up in the episode as well. The one thing I've got to point out about Hugh Sanders, who played uh, Bosley, uh, not to be confused with um, Charlie's Angels, Bosley. Bowsley. The IMDb picture that comes up for this guy is of a sheriff, and then the trailer thumbnail next to him as a sheriff is him as a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, that's for a, a, a movie called Storm Warning from 1951. Considering so he was what? alive from 1911 to 1966, you kind of question whether or not... Um, he, uh, how he felt about the African-American people back then. <laughs> well, I, I have to clarify that Storm Warning is not a pro-KKK movie. It's actually a, an anti-KKK because the synopsis for that movie is basically uh, this woman comes into town because her sister married a Klansman and then witnesses them killing someone and then uh, they uh, works with the police in order to bring justice. So it is an anti-KKK movie. Weren't most movies, I mean, between 1911 and 1966, the majority of movies were made in Hollywood. We didn't have an independent film circuit like we do today, where you can make a movie in your backyard, your basement, or your bedroom. Um, So Hollywood was not making pro-KKKK movies, let's just say. There is a funny thing as I on his IMDb. need to be. By the way, he played Ulysses S. Grant in a movie or a TV series who uh, became uh, president of the United States and was the leader of the uh, Northern Army during the Civil War. But the TV series I have to bring up is called The Grey Ghost. And for a minute there, I was thinking of the Batman episode where Batman meets his longtime um, childhood hero played by Adam West as a retired out-of-work actor who can't get a job doing anything else. <laughs> the reason I also bring uh, this up is that um, at Comic Con this week, uh, Comic Con a couple weeks ago, did you hear what announcement they made regarding the upcoming Crisis of Infinite Earths? Which, by the way, ties to what we've done before, as Constantine will be part of that. Aha! Uh-huh. I had not heard the details. Please give us details. Okay, so during the Crisis on Infinite Earths in DC Comics, the Anti Monitor came along and destroyed the multiverse, killing trillions upon countless trillions of people. Um, Unlike Thanos, who snapped his fingers and killed countless trillions of people, he did this on a multiversal scale. So, 
Wow. The Anti-Monitor is the big bad of one of the possibly the biggest bad of the DC universe next to Thanos. I mean, sorry, not Thanos, uh, Darkseid, who is basically Thanos. The reason I bring up the Great Ghosts connection is because the, the TV universe has a finite uh, episodes or universes that they can kind of tackle, they don't have the multiverse that the comic books have access to. However, what they do have is a multiverse of television, which for the first time in years, after years of being told, oh, you can't use that character because he's appearing in this, or you can't use those teams because they're appearing on that, the television universe of the Arrowverse is getting access to anything they want within reason of television. And Burt Ward is coming back to play Dick Grayson in his 70s. What? As part what? of the multiverse crossover, The Crisis of Infinite Earths. And Brandon Routh is returning to play Superman. Because he already plays the Atom alongside John Constantine on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. He is returning to play the Man of Steel for the first time since the Superman Returns movie back in 2006. Linda Carter has been confirmed to be returning, not as the President of the United States as she has played on Supergirl, but possibly the Wonder Woman of 1977. Wow. This is, by the way, the last episode on the second DVD set, and I actually had to crack open the plastic on the third set. I had never opened it before. Um, so I'm probably watching those episodes for the first time. Gomez go, wants to go bat hunting, but Morticia is, wants to become an artist. And uh, she is tired yeah. of being a botanist where she can combine daffodils with roses. Yeah, and, and actually combining daffodils with roses, that would be an impressive feat because they're two completely different uh, genuses of plant. Uh, and and she complains about it because she says, all I've gotten is just more petals. Now, in this episode, this episode, I love this episode because it displays a lot more of the Marx Brothers style humor. You know, Nat Parents, uh, he's producer on them, so his influence, uh, big with the Marx Brothers. There's a lot of quips, you know, even from the, the opening five minutes, there is quip after quip and... Uh, you know, Morticia's like acting all blasé, like, you know, fun, fun, fun. There's more than life to just fun. And he says, there is? And she says, a person must contribute something to the world. And he says, I contribute plenty. Have you seen my tax bills? You know, that right there, mwah, just that humor. I just love that. Uh, so Morticia takes up this sculpture uh, talent, and there's this montage of, of her just cracking away with the chisel. And when we, uh, after the montage, you see her over a rock that's actually bigger than the one that is that she started with. <laughs> Gomez can't figure out if he's making a dinosaur head or the dinosaur's foot. Yeah, all of these just look like anamorphous blobs. They're really. Now, this is the part of the episode that, <coughs> excuse me, this is the part of the episode after Picasso shows up that begins to make me hate this episode as much as I did the last one. It's... Let's sabotage whatever the other Adams family member is doing again. It's the same plot line we've already seen twice now. Well, he's not sabotaging it, really. He is afterwards. He's, he's supporting it, and then he doesn't like it. Well, that's because it's running him out of money. Oh. You know, she, she is trying to be a success, and he has set up 
a situation in which she feels that she's a success and he is draining his bank account by buying these pieces of art uh, with using Sam Picasso's art dealership as like the the front. So he is the wealthy art collector behind Sam Picasso and he is just running himself out of money so fast, which is surprising because her first statue takes three months to make and then it seems like afterwards she's just pumping them out. But I, I guess when your statues all look the same, it's pretty easy. <laughs> so it's not really sabotaging. And then at the end, he has to sabotage because he can't bring himself to tell her the truth that her artwork sucks. You know, and, and no one's going to buy her artwork. If he was upfront with that in the in the first place, yeah, she would have been disappointed, but it wouldn't be costing him millions of dollars. Did Morticia not meet Picasso the last time he was in the house? No, she did. And and this is where there's a continuity error because, you know, she says, you know, it's good to meet you. And, you know, they've already met. You know, they locked him in their house for a while to teach Mama how to paint. They know who Sam Picasso is. But, I've yeah, heard so much about you from Gomez. And it's like, uh... The writers on these episodes are pretty much the same almost every episode. Yeah, but with the, these might not have actually been written in order. You know, we don't know when they wrote the script okay, but and then this when is, they filmed the uh, script. And... I, I would believe that if the episodes were in the same year, but that episode was back in 1964, and we're now in, what, 1966? Yeah, I, I know. I'm, yeah, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Don't you know? play devil's advocate to something that terrible. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, they still had a... I, I, to somebody that had uh, been in a writer's room back in the 70s and he's like he's like the writer's rooms back in the 70s are, are very similar to the way they are today they all get together in a room or whatever and they all wrote together whereas today we cannot go we all go our separate ways and do things but we would all get together and write together I mean I've had people on the show that have worked in 70s television before and they said the writer's room from the 70s isn't that much different than the 60s today yeah because technology is so much different well that might be true. Uh, I do know that on some of the Adams Family scripts, they were done by separate teams. So this was, let's see, who wrote this one? This was, um, uh, this was written by Harry Winkler, Hannibal Coons, and, okay, this was written by Harry Winkler, Hannibal Coons, uh, David Levy, yeah, and then there there was another team that we see on certain episode people. Who wrote the previous Picasso episode? Uh, Sam Picasso is in Art and the Adams Family. Right. And that was written by Harry Winkler, Hannibal Coons, and David Levy. Okay, so, so no excuses people. at all. Okay, okay. <laughs> no I, I excuses whatsoever. All right, that is pretty much all the notes I have for this episode. Oh, um, let's see. There's... there's there's basically like a lot of the gags in this episode, a lot of gags. Uh, she, Morticia doesn't actually um, stop being a sculpturist until she sees the kids wanting fudge, like chocolate. Uh, and then she considers herself that she's failed as a mother because they're eating chocolate marshmallow fudge at 3 a.m. And so she hangs up her beret and, and her pretty artistic coat and, and says that her she's going to go back to her most important job. And Gomez says, lover? And goes, mother. Oh, 
oh, but lover too, you know, and he goes, oh, yeah. So Gomez, through this episode, this is actually the first time that Gomez even even has a, the hint of uh, the uh, of being poor. You know, his bank account is overdrawn. So in this episode, there is a mention of AT&T because at the time that is a blue chip stock and Fester suggests that he actually uh, sell his AT&T instead of the consolidated fuzz. That to me was pretty interesting uh, because they're just as bad of a company today as they were back then. Uh, Got it. Um, yeah, uh, this is—I I just love this episode. You might not have liked it, but nope. I, I do love this episode. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with the next episode of the Adams Family on the Dead TV podcast. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan, how's that baby treating you, Mister Daly? Like Thanos snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Got to give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and... Most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about Cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. And we're back with the next episode of The Adams Family. Gomez, the Reluctant Lover, originally aired November 19, 1965. Pugsley begins to act strangely, and Gomez and Morticia are concerned, so he declares he has fallen in love. Discovering one of Gomez's love letters to Morticia, Pugsley rewrites the document and sends it to his true love, his teacher. A misunderstanding by the teacher leads her to think Gomez wrote the letter, and she acts on the impulse. Morticia needs to rely on all her feminine charms to break up the developing relationship. Now, in this episode, uh, the teacher, you know, it does that familiar trope of the glasses, the hair up, and then when the glasses and the hair down, she turns sexy. You know, classic, classic. Yeah, if you watched, um, uh, I'm trying to find something that she was in for more than just a single episode that you could see, like, you know, how beautiful this woman really was. I mean, she was on Dallas for a few episodes, and she was on uh, Dynasty and Remington Steel. Um, the Adams Family, she started her she started her career when she was in her 30s, according to to, to this, because the Adams Family seems like to be her, like, I mean, she was on Guiding Light, but she was on uh, the, I mean, the Adams Family was, like, her big thing, the FBI, All My Children, bit part after her entire career. But again, even even with like without her hair coming down, you could tell that she was like probably beautiful and she's probably one of those teachers that likes to like, you know, dress up in bondage and who knows what else she's into. <laughs> I'm not gonna get disgusting with it, but uh, I'm just saying Um I had a guest on yeah. from a movie the other day. I did an interview with a guest the other day 
um, where she uh, she said she kind of keeps falling into sexual characters in roles that she's playing. Like she's in the Deuce, and she has a um, she has a lesbian makeout scene with um, a pretty high profile, well known actress today. Uh, uh, oh God, what's her name? She was just in. Um, the Superman horror movie, and she was Betty Brant in the Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, the Superman horror movie, you mean Bright, uh, Brightburn? Yeah, the mom in Brightburn. Oh, okay. Yeah, she has a lesbian makeout scene with that actress in a uh, a, a TV series called The Deuce. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and she was in uh, Pastor, and she played a hooker. Yeah. And the she, first she role... She has a... Uh, Jill Andre, she's got a long career... And yeah, her IMDb photo is is her, you know, older as she is probably now, and she's still beautiful. And then Mr. Jennings comes back, who has been on the show before. Yeah. Uh, twenty thousand, uh, twenty million miles to Earth, Earth versus the Flying Saucer, beginning and a lot of creature feature films in his IMDb back in the fifties. Well, this episode opens up pretty interesting. Uh, Gomez has a fetish. <laughs> And his fetish is ontophilia. Ontophilia is a fetish of having your teeth worked on. And yeah. so Morticia uses the drill on his teeth. And that's the same fetish that Jack Nicholson has in Little Shop of Horrors, the original Roger Corman one. And, uh, you know, Gomez just is so pleasant, doesn't want Morticia to stop drilling his teeth. Also, another major continuity error. Gomez and Morticia never courted. They met each other, then they got married a day later. Yes, exactly. Math, and that just happened, too, this season. That's not I even, know. like, two years ago. That was this season. Now, they may have yes. written the Morticia romance episodes beforehand, but the kids looked roughly the same. Of course, the kids really looked the same through most of the show. They did a good job of filling these episodes probably pretty quickly before they, they hit their growth spurts in puberty. But this was an absolute just, like, no, he never dated. They never courted. He met her. He was going to marry her sister, and he ended up marrying mm-hmm. her the next day. Literally the yeah. next day, it was just like it, it just whatever. I mean, it's just bad continuity again. That my belief is the romance episodes could have been filmed like a while ago, but it didn't really seem like it. Um, I would have loved to have known what was in those romance letters that was just too scandalous for even Morticia to read aloud, considering they're so open and honest with their children. Um, I mean, I'm sure it was something very 60s and silly, and would have been something that we would have been re- would have read today that would have just made you, you know, just soil your underwear. <laughs> I, I think so. the The reaction that you get from the teacher reading just a small portion of it, I'm sure they were um, panty wedding. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's something that you would, you know, text to your, you know, significant other right now and be like, oh, this is what we're doing tonight, and you'd be like, oh my. You know, somebody accidentally walk by and read it and go, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, great many a conquest we... that I've had that I have texted to that have been like, oh, stop texting me that while I'm at work. <laughs> I'm just saying my words yeah. are uh, pretty good. <laughs> All right. You say so. <laughs> Uh, in this episode, we also get a few scenes that have been replayed in previous episodes, but they have a voiceover of basically, uh, you know, Morticia or Gomez, like, talking about Pugsley. So it's them playing badminton and them fencing, and then there's a voiceover, but you can see that they're not actually speaking any of those words. 
just a little, uh, you know, filming thing that they did. Um, so Gomez is jumping on a trampoline, and it seems as if that's not actually John Aston jumping on the trampoline. That seems like, as if that's a stunt double. I can't actually verify if it was. There's nothing to, in the credits to say that that is a stunt double, but that certainly didn't quite look like John Aston. Pugsley is laying on the bed of nails, staring up at the ceiling, and then he admits that he's in love. And we find out later that it's, he's in love with his teacher. The misunderstanding, this episode is interesting because it shows that Morticia's natural state isn't jealousy. Morticia's natural state is upset and curious, but not immediately jealous, because she approaches Gomez and this teacher. He is reclining in the arms of the teacher. Obviously, she, the teacher is fawning over Gomez, and uh, she just kind of walks up with the more curious but upset look on her face, and then Gomez says, oh, we have a guest, my dear. And all she says is, I'll have Lurch set an extra place at dinner. And then walks away while they're still in an embrace. And then Gomez says, I better explain this to my wife. So she gives Gomez a safe word. And so their safe word is stop. So, you know, when, when I say stop, you stop. So she says that she's going to play the jealous wife, that he should go along with her because she's, this teacher has never had anyone, anyone, have any interest in her. And she says it's better to love and lose, love and lose, than not to have loved at all. So they want to give this woman this experience. So Gomez is really going overboard with it. And so when Fester sees this, and you know, it is the snitch that he is, and starts telling Morticia about it, everything is just misinterpreted by everyone. You know, she says, "Don't stop," and it's, so that gets turned into "Don't stop." It's a, um, it's like uh, Three's Company. Yes. Very yes. misunderstanding yes. episode every five seconds. Uh, and again, it is funny that, again, when she takes off her glasses, puts her hair down, it's She's All That, which was the movie starring Rachel Lee Cook, where the two guys make the bet over the nerd girl and who could turn her into a hot girl and teach her manners, I guess. I mean, I, I guess this is supposed to be um, uh, not Pride and Prejudice. And, um, what, what's the story with the the two make the bet over the uh, the... The street girl and turn her into a princess. My, my fair lady. My fair lady, but she's not a street girl. She's not a hooker. That's that's pretty woman. Yeah. Which is basically the same thing because she even makes that joke in She's All That. This is kind of like pretty woman except for that whole hooker thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. So Gomez thinks it's all a play, and he is even. I mean, even by the bystander, is a convincing actor on this role because he is talking sideways to Morticia complimenting her on on her acting and and kind of going along with it so it's obvious to us as the as the viewer that he is acting and he is showing Morticia that he is acting but Morticia is taking it serious because she said the safe word and he is not stopping you know and that is like a violation to her and in this episode we do have a joke about uh, Mama not being a Gomez's mother. You know, he says, I take Again. Kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. So she says, take Mama. And Morticia's like, she's your Mama. He says, very well then, shared custody. 
you know, and then he, he insists on, on keeping lurch. But that, that running gag, you know, about Mama's actual placement within the family. Again, also, nobody paying attention to continuity back then. Yeah. And, and in this episode, we do have a moment where Morticia speaks French, and Gomez leans dramatically. It does that one of those Michael Jackson moonwalker, just that dramatic lean, because he wants to actually kiss Morticia's hand and arm, and but he's trying to play this role for the sake of the teacher. And, you know, it does a few times. And then uh, when they finally do make up, Morticia pushes him into the wall in front of her smoke-blowing dragon as if to kind of suffocate him, but not really, but yes, kind of, you know, punish him a little bit, you know. And she admits that she made him do it, and yet she's upset. You know, so, yeah, that's, this is a very good episode because, you know, Morticia's natural state isn't immediately jealousy. And she, you know, remarks that he is just irresistible. So, obviously she wants it. Obviously the teacher wanted him. So she just has to live with that. And, uh, you know, Pugsley then, at the end of the episode, writes another letter to a new teacher. So in um did you ever see the movie uh Stupid Crazy Love? Mm, is that a chick flick? No, it's actually a really good com- it's a really hilarious comedy starring um uh Steve Carell and uh Ryan Gosling and mm-hmm. Julian Moore and um Emma Stone, uh Kevin Bacon, uh and a couple other actors that I can't think of off the top of my head. But it's about a guy whose wife tells him that she has uh, cheated on him, with, uh, played by Julianne Moore, with her boss, played by Kevin Bacon, and that she wants a divorce. And he just gives into it. And uh, Sorry, he, that it, instead of fighting the whatever, he just gives her the divorce. Mm-hmm. And um, while he is out at the bar, you know, trying to pick up new women, he runs into the Tomcat, played by Ryan Gosling, who is like 20 years younger than him. And tells them that the reason why your wife left you is because, you know, you're a schlub, you don't dress very well, and you're kind of a wimp and a pussy. You just gave up when your wife told you she was cheating on you, you know. And what what woman wants to be with a man who just, like, gives up that easily? You know, you, you didn't fight for her. And he starts, like, he takes him out shopping, and his whole shopping montage or whatever. You know, he starts, like, you know, he's like, he walks into the club, and he's like, yeah, and women are looking at him and stuff like that. Of course, he does the exact opposite of everything he tells him to do while he's talking to a woman, <laughs> which is really mm-hmm. funny. And um, all the while, the babysitter of their two kids is madly in love with Steve Carell's character. And she takes naked pictures and writes love letters to Steve Carell. By the way, she's like 17. The actress is like in her 20s, whatever. Um, All the while, his son is in love with his babysitter. (laughs) There is a sequence towards the end of the movie where the kids try to recreate the parents' first date or whatever, which was at a miniature golf in the backyard, and they get, Mm -hmm. like, dad to help them do it. 
And that's when, like, the shit starts hitting the fan when the babysitter reveals that she's in love with Dad. The the son reveals that he's in love with the babysitter. The boss comes over that the mom cheated with or whatever and confesses his love for her, that it wasn't just a one-night stand. He's actually in love with her. Um, then there's also a huge reveal with Emma Stone's character and uh, the, the Tomcat, Ryan Gosling, who uh, you know have been dating, but there's another secret that nobody is aware of. I mean, it sounds funny, but also sounds like a chick flick. It's hilarious. It's Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling, and I really wish those two would work together again, because they are hilarious playing off of one another. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I like this episode. How did you like this one? It was okay. All right. Didn't move or shake all me. Right. It was all right. No, that's, that's about all the notes I have for this one. Cool. All right, me too. Um, the the smoking thing was kind of interesting, where she smokes him out. Um, you know, he just like it just kind of keeps inhaling it. Yeah, and and you know, because she Morticia has this power of combustion, and she has this dragon that produces smoke all the time. You know, I sometimes wonder if if this smoke is you know of smoke of something else and something a little bit more relaxing because she says hush and then puts his head into the smoke of the dragon maybe maybe some weed or something well that's pretty much all the notes i have for the both of these episodes of the dead tv podcast if you'd like to follow us on facebook please do the dead tv podcast if you would like to follow us on twitter you can at chris dsav and elegantly kiki and don't forget to leave us a rating on itunes google play or stitcher we also have a patreon as well under radio of horror there's been little to no activity on the patreon so please donate to us on patreon if you're a business and you would like us to sponsor, if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, don't forget, that would be awesome. And you can email us at thatradiohorror at gmail.com with any questions, answers, or anything else, or factoids about the Adams Family. And we'll be back next week with two more episodes of the Adams Family here on the Dead TV Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>